Welcome to Gold and Great, telling Asian American stories from the Gold Rush to the Gold Open. Josh Co. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you're having a great week. Uh, I had seen a, a TikTok recently, as you do, uh, about the uh, Korean response to the pandemic. There was a American who was quarantining with his family there for those 14 days, and he just showed off the package that they got from the government. Obviously, there's the normal stuff that you'd expect, the masks, the hygienic products, the toothbrush, but it was the food game that especially caught my eye. We had uh, the seaweed, rice, the tuna, the curry, but it was especially the two weeks worth of instant noodles that just really had me going. And it really made me think about just how tantalizing that desire to travel, to really get out anywhere uh, after being in our different homes and apartments and living environments, right? Especially um, for those of us, so many of us in the collab community, our our friends and families um, who maybe had travel plans or other plans that have been canceled and postponed during this pandemic. Uh, So our, our story today really focuses on uh, really appealing to that desire. Um, he shares in his story today about growing up feeling like an outsider and begins an interesting thought experiment about what would it be like to literally follow the theme we've been talking through this season to go back, not where he, but uh, generations ago where his family came from. What would it like to be an Asian American in Asia. Here's Tony Trend with today's story. So I grew up in Georgia in 1992 in a white suburbia. As white as Georgia was, I had good memories of fitting right into American society in elementary school as an Asian kid. I played and hung around with my classmates, and I didn't really feel like I was different from them. I talked about Bernie Spears with my friend Aaron, my best friend Justin. Uh, We were in the same grade for four years in a row and always hung around each other's house. I watched American Idol and the Super Bowl halftime show religiously. I listened to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. I thought American cartoons were better than anime. I wanted to play baseball and go skateboarding. Granted, everything that I listed was what was trending in the 90s and early 2000s, but I felt American just liking the same thing that everyone else in America was liking. Then middle school hit. It was 2004, and I didn't really enjoy middle school as much. Um, Erin and I weren't friends anymore. Um, She hung out with a different group of friends. Uh, Justin and I didn't really hang out as much anymore. And everyone's music tastes started to change. Um, you know, they, it ranged from like Black Sabbath, ACDC, to uh, My Chemical Romance, and then uh, Ludacris and uh, Lil John. And looking back at it, I, I really just wasn't as into it as everyone else. 
and then people tend to identify themselves by what music they listen to. But um, I just wasn't into it. But you know, looking now, um, I do tend to listen to those music as a great throwback to my younger years. So I remember day after day just sitting in the lunchroom, looking around, seeing people talking with their friends, and you could just see me sitting there alone at the end of the table. It's like those teen movies, like it's basically life imitating art where, you know, the art is those 80s and 90s teen movies. Every day, I would just go home alone, do homework, and play video games. I didn't really go out to like birthday parties as much and sleepovers, and I didn't get to end up playing baseball like I wanted, and I pretty much missed out a lot. Looking backwards is kind of like a weird thing anyways. All I knew that I just felt alone and I felt like I didn't really fit into a mold that thrived well in the American middle school system. And this continues on as an adult for me. I still feel like I don't really fit into American culture and society. Like, I love America as this great melting pot where we understand and respect each other and we all have equal opportunities. But you know, at the moment, America is still heavily skewed towards certain types of people to thrive better than others. And I don't really fit into the American ways on how I'm supposed to act or how am I supposed to look. Look. I don't, you know, look like those buff, adventurous dudes that you see in the Marvel movies, nor those like skinny, artistic, plaid shirt wearing types that you see in Netflix and Hulu shows. Like, why do I have to be shamed and cast away for being different and subjected to like old stereotypes? Quiet, obedient, emotionless, not funny? I'm like an individual person that I would like to have a chance to be understood before uh, you make your judgment about me. So back in middle school, uh, even though I haven't really fully understood these issues, I dealt with it by turning back into my Asian culture with uh, media and music. The internet and uh, YouTube during the mid 2000s really helped me explore what other Asians in the world were doing. I listened to um, like BOA and Korean drama soundtracks uh, because of the Hollywood wave in Korea was uh, pretty strong at this time. Japanese music and anime was, you know, pretty cool as well. Like, um, you know, Naruto and Bleach and Full Metal Alchemist. Um, Yutari Karu music from the PS2 classic Kingdom Hearts uh, got me pretty into Japanese and Asian music in general as well. Wong Fu Productions and Kev Jumbo were making really funny short videos on YouTube, just being the great digital pioneer as they are. So I really escaped my American reality to live in this digital Asian life. I was seeing Asians thrive and being happy on the internet and it made me believe that I too could find happiness somewhere else like in Asia or maybe California because that's pretty close to Asia as well. As I grew up in high school and college, I slowly got myself deeper and deeper into an Asian bubble digitally where I was consuming a lot of Korean and Japanese media. Physically, I went to a tech university in Atlanta uh, where I purposely surrounded myself with Asian people. It was finally nice to be around people that looked like me and had similar interests. To be in a bubble and you know ignore all these problems that I had when I was in middle school. During the summers, uh, I studied abroad in Shanghai and Seoul in 2012 and 2014. And it was incredibly fun uh, looking back at it. I didn't really have to worry about feeling and looking different. 
being Asian was okay because everyone was Asian in Asia. I didn't have to worry about you know race problems that much. Along with that, there were uh, many types of Asian food I could eat. I love the different types of architecture and skyscraper that were there. And there was really great public transportation system. Uh, the night culture was awesome as well, uh, with the bars and clubs and drinking and partying until the morning, man. good times. Then when I got back to Georgia at the end of it, it was like kind of sobering. The clubs and bars in America closed like 2 a.m. where I was. I had to drive like 20 or 30 minutes just to get some cream barbecue. And like American culture was just like screaming in my face saying how awesome they were. And I just felt like I missed Asia and I really wanted to go back. After graduation, I had a thought. Instead of just living in this Asian bubble in America, why not move to Asia? You know, just build on top of what I experienced during my times over there. Um, just meeting new people, eating the food, learning new things about the culture, and then hopefully I can find a sense of belonging that I could find in Asia. So emotionally, I feel like I should just you know, hustle, live in Asia for a couple years, and see if I can continue on doing this, and see if I can fulfill something that I was missing inside of me that I never had for the first 22 or so years of my life, and just see if there's you know, something there. Or my time during Asia was just a college thing. So uh, I went out and talked to Asian Americans who moved to Asia and asked about their experience and see if I can learn from them to you know, persuade or dissuade me from continuing on this path and make my decision. So I'm Jacob, uh, I'm 32 this year, and um, I was born in China. I uh, left when I was five with my parents to Scotland, uh, Edinburgh, and um, we lived there when I was five till I was 13, and then we moved to Denver. And then I uh, went to school in Denver, grew up there. Uh, what was your like relationship with Chinese culture? What were your views on it? Like? Um, or something. Yeah. It was not, it was uh, my parents purposefully exposed me to a lot of the culture. Um, like we yeah. went back to China like almost every summer. I didn't really understand how different my up, up, upbringing was compared to other ABCs until I went until I met until I went to the states in Denver and sort of started talking with other Chinese people about their their about their lives growing up. And um, I guess a lot of their parents didn't go back to China as often as my parents did. So I guess that I'm very thankful that my parents exposed me so much in my early years to their native culture because then my language skills, like my Chinese skills, were a lot better than a lot of my other ABC friends. So it was very interesting to think about, like especially for me because I was always sort of interested in my native culture and my native background because of my dad's upbringing. Jacob graduated from college around 2010. The world was still feeling from the 2008 recession and finding a job in America was pretty hard for Jacob. Though, his uncle was working at an architectural firm in China and luckily had a position open for Jacob. With no student debt and young, he decided to go work with his uncle, though there were some things he had to give up. I was also losing out on 
you know, just like the earlier years of living like graduation and then living out on your own or living with roommates. And then you're all young, you all graduated and you're all like starting at the cusp of your career. Like I've missed out on that experience with my friends because all my friends graduated and, you know, they started off on their careers. And then I moved into a whole different country in a whole different system. And so I missed out on sort of that experience as well. With that risk, he still made the decision to live with his aunt and uncle in China, and in 2011, he flew over to live and work in Changsha. Changsha is the provincial capital of Hunan province, and so that, that could be considered like tier two. And so you have immediately like less international, I guess you have less international people there. You have less multinational corporations there. Um, and I guess a lot of the, you have less uh, international brands there as well like um, obviously you have like Starbucks or stuff like that but then you don't have maybe there's only like two or three McDonald's there maybe there's only like one or two KFC's there you know so it was a it was a really big transition to going from like American culture to like a really really Chinese culture that was untouched by international brands or or the international culture and um so that's what Changsha is like. Um, obviously, because of the rate of expansion of Chinese cities, now Changsha is a lot more international. There's a lot more stuff going on there. Um, and then that was yeah. only, and now that was only like eight years ago. Changsha was still the considered tier two. Um, so there were less people that knew English as well. And so you know, I had to really learn a lot. Like I had to really learn quickly. Like my Chinese improved the first for the first couple of months there. My Chinese improved a lot just by speaking Chinese every day interacting with my co-workers every day. Newly arrived, Jacob's time in Changsha was less than smooth, and his city didn't really live up to its American standards. There was there were series of there were these series of expectations that I felt because uh, I said before that I had a summer internship in Beijing. So like immediately going back to China, but going to a different city, I sorta of had an expectation that Changsha would sort of be similar to Beijing. Because I could could not expect oh. Changsha to be worse. But yeah. It was worse, um, and so there was a there was that transition period of a couple months where I had to really think hard about okay, do I really want to stay here and live my life and work here for the next couple of years, um, mm. and then you know so I did have I remember having like panic attacks basically at night just thinking about okay is this is this my life now going forward like living in this tier two city in a in a culture that I'm not really familiar with and that I didn't grow up in. Um, or should I just tough it out and then just work towards being a, like work towards my career and profession to you know work my way up to Beijing or tier to the tier one or to the international, um, and yeah it was a, it was a hard, I mean for a period of months there you know I had to obviously uh, I had to think hard about where I wanted my life to go, um, and that was a really difficult period in my life. Yeah I couldn't really talk about it with my parents too because like. I was the one that sort of said, hey, let's just go back to China. And then you know, they were, I didn't want to stress them out. I don't want to be like, oh, I'm having a terrible time here. I, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want, I don't want to give them that stress. I wanted to be sort of independent, but it was just not to the standards that I thought it would be. So you live in Changsha. Um, how, how are your work experience there like? Um, first going over there um, with your Chinese coworker and such. Um, so in terms of like social, like social stuff, uh, I think I was fine. They saw me as like a younger brother, basically. Like I didn't, cause I was so naive going back. I didn't grow up in a culture. I didn't know what you were supposed to say to like people older than you. I didn't know what you were supposed to like 
say to you know your clients or anything like that and so they sort of took me under their wing they understood they understood that i like i was a foreigner going even though i had i was asian i looked asian they understood that i was from a different culture and so i was happy you know i was just happy you know being there and then learning from their experience yeah so um how was making friends uh living there like initially for you like would you like make friends with coworkers or do activities or was it hard for you or how was interacting with them making friends there like for you because i didn't grow up in the culture i couldn't really understand a lot of the um, like i couldn't really understand a lot of the jokes i couldn't understand a lot of the a lot of the like the tv shows or a lot of like the uh, the media and so i could in that sense i couldn't really relate to a lot of what my coworkers were talking about um, but you know, after I got comfortable with that, and after I sort of started opening up because I can start speaking what I felt, uh, and then them understanding me, like um, they were really, they were really, I guess, interested in what I had to say about like their culture. I guess. I mean, it's not like I was just speaking on the podium talking about, oh, this is bad or that's weird or something like that. But they were just interested in my thoughts about like what I felt, like if I went with them to KTV, like what I felt about you know this place or that place, what I felt about all these other things. And I guess that's the start of our friendship is just them asking me questions. Yeah. And then after that, it was um, after that it was kind of like a cultural exchange program, basically, where uh, these younger coworkers they would, you know, introduce me to a lot of the culture of their city, and then I would you know comment on that, comment on that, and tell them about like my culture back back in the states or like how I grew up. And then once we became more comfortable, it was just like a normal friendship. So it was an interesting, it was an interesting start. But then after that, it was fairly comfortable just being friends with them. Um, so culturally, was there like when you lived there um, in Changsha, was there any like a small, was there any like American American cultural conflict or Asian conflict that you had? That was like um, interesting to see the. The, the clashes of like the way you grew up versus what it you know was or how it is in China or if, it, if there is one like how did you um, deal with it or, or was um it there's big, yeah know? there was one culture I mean the big thing would be uh like the respect or elders part of this like confusion idea of like respecting your elders or respecting whoever is above you in the chain of command. And so uh, it was sort of weird that I would talk like talk back to my supervisor. Like mm-hmm. if I had an idea and I was like adamant about this idea, like I would be like, okay, well this, I think this idea is blah, 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 but it's rare that they, that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, like, especially for my work, like that was kind of a big issue sometimes. Um, like they would understand that I was from a different culture or from a different background and they would sort of give me a pass. But for legit issues where like during work you think that this would be better and you would make an argument and you would support that argument, like I would just immediately do that. Tell my supervisor, I believe this and this and this, like in front of other people. And then I think a little, I think like other people that were in my position wouldn't necessarily say that in front of other people. They might like just go privately a one-on-one meeting with the supervisor and just tell them like, hey, I, I found this and I support this by this. So I guess in that sense, it was sort of jarring for them to be in that position as well. And it was sort of awkward sometimes too. Um, but I realized I realized quickly that, you know, that's not the way to do things. Like if you, like, cause I was only like a little kid then, like I couldn't, 
compared to them, I couldn't really change the system, or I didn't want to change the system. So you know, I quickly um, fo started following their. Um, I started following their system of doing things. I guess you can say. Yeah. So that was one big issue, like for employment, anyway. I compromised whenever I could. Um, it's like so, there was a work situation, but then you know, in family itself, like, fam like, um, they, there's expectations that I guess you should listen more to your grandparents or listen more to your elders. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really subscribe to that kind of culture, and so I would sort of sometimes talk back to my grandparents as well. <laughs> And uh, maybe that was that was very different for them as well. Um, and in that sense, there was this clash between cultures. Yeah. Uh, but that also wasn't a conflict because they also knew that I grew up in a different society. Mm -hmm. And I this, I, this idea of me like being a naive Westerner was actually ingrained in them, and then like immediately ingrained in a lot of the other co in my other coworkers as well, where like I had. I had a yellow face. I, I lived Asian. Um, I spoke the language with barely an accent, but I was still from a different culture and still from a different background. And I could, I got the sense that I would never be able to actually be ingrain myself into that culture or into that society. Like that was the that was the idea that I got, because it was a very fairly rigid split between yeah. Westerners or foreigners and then the actual Chinese people. Like no matter how hard you tried, you. You think that you wouldn't be able to ingrain yourself there, or like, or would you think that they would not be able to accept you? Uh, I think it was other way around. Like, I can live with like I can live that lifestyle, no problem. But they would not see me as their one of their own. I think that's that's the idea that I got from like talking with them and like listening to what they had to say about other like other stuff. Jacob's not really having a great time in China so far. He can't fit into China as well as he would like. I really thought if I try hard enough and improve my language skills, uh, pick up the local culture, that I could fit in. But this seems to not be the case. Well, I have to go back to the drawing board now and rethink my decision to live in Asia. What if I moved to Asia and it wasn't, you know, as fun as I would have liked? Uh, what if I, you know, miss American food? And what if I, you know, didn't make as much friend as I thought I would because, you know, I'm more American than I realize. Would I still want to live in Asia? What I experienced in college was just a study abroad for two months during the summer. But living abroad is, you know, legit months after months in a city by yourself having to rebuild your social circle again, having to experience growth as a young adult in a new place and culture. My experience of hard work so far is just studying for long hours in a dorm while my parents are just 40 minutes away from me, that they could just come and help me when I have you know, any issues. Uh, living alone in Asia just seems you know, exponentially harder, you know, especially when you're young. But um, I shouldn't really expect some quick results when I live there. Um, the first couple years in a new place is gonna be pretty tough, um, as Jacob experienced himself. Just changing myself to adapt to a new culture from what I've known all my life in America you know, can be pretty hard. But like, you know, like solving any big problems, I would just 
you know, just chip it one small piece at a time, you know, learning day by day, uh, learn some new words, learn some new jokes, um, you know, apologize for my mistakes and such, but you know, over time, these small things will build up to um, growth, and over time, I can be better. So um, back to Jacob's story here. Uh, Jacob is still in Changsha at this time, and uh, let's see what Jacob does to change the situation. Along with not being able to fit exactly into the Chinese culture, Jacob also had problems with climbing the ladder at work. He wasn't a Chinese citizen, and his Chinese wasn't as good as it should be, and his social faux pas of talking back to his supervisors all created a barrier for him to advance further up the ladder. And that's when I started thinking about, okay, maybe I should move back to the States. Um, because at least then, you know, I can kind of, I wouldn't really touch that. I would, I would just blow away that. I wouldn't really touch that whole political landscape of China. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to subject myself to something that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with. Mm. Um, and then, or another idea was that, you know, I could just leave that firm and then just join like an international firm where they're more forgiving of these issues or they they don't have that ceiling. So that's what he did. He moved to Beijing to work in an international architectural firm, and Changsha and Beijing are very different from each other. Yeah, I mean there was a there was a Starbucks right next door to my not right next door to my apartment. It was a more it was a definitely a more metropolitan area. You know, you had a lot more international brands, a lot more international people. Uh, like the firm that I went to immediately, like half the office is international. Yeah. And you know when you're when I'm working like. I would speak English like all throughout the day. Like back in Changsha, I would speak Chinese all day. But in yeah. Beijing, in the office in particular, I would be in this bubble where I would speak English all day and be with international people all day. So it was a fairly big transition. I mean, it was like going backwards a step of going away, leaving leaving the Chinese culture and then being in this international culture. And working at a company with international coworkers to talk to gave him a sigh of relief. I think it's, I mean, I think you put it nicely, it's like a sigh of relief. Um, you have this pent up, it's not stress, but it's like a pent up something. It's like you're kind of smothered sometimes because you're not fluent in the language and you can't really say what you felt. Um, but then, you know, once you're in a comfortable setting and you can express yourself in a language that you know, then it becomes, okay, fine. Like, uh, it's like, okay, I can do something now or I can like say something, I can say something or I can act a certain way That's that wasn't necessarily uh, as comfortable for me if I did the same thing back in Changsha. Mm. And so, yeah, it was definitely a sigh of relief for sure. One, because I could express myself better. Uh, I was more, I was definitely fluent more in English than I am in Chinese. Um, but the other issue is that I, I was always self-conscious when I was speaking Chinese because I had, uh, I have, uh, I look Asian and they, there's an expectation that if you look Asian, then you're fluent in that language. And so, uh, I, I, I guess I was socially aware that I didn't want to look, come off as like an idiot, right? I didn't want to come off as someone that didn't go to school or that didn't want that didn't learn any of the language. Yeah. Because that was actually an issue sometimes too. Because when I would be like go to a bank and I would have to do something for like uh, withdraw money or create an account or something, hmm. they would speak to me and like, they, I mean, they would expect me to speak Chinese because I look Chinese. And there, were, I would there was numerous occasions where I would be like, uh. How do you say that? Or what is this? And then they would look at me like I was an idiot. Okay, uh, was there like a emotional preference that for one or the other? Like, did you share like most of your emotional thoughts and feelings with like the international because like you were to express yourself better, or, or Chinese because um, you had other 
Chinese connection to it, or was there like a preference that you had? And emotionally, yeah, I mean, or? yeah, there's like definitely a preference for like hanging out with more of the international crowd. Uh, definitely, just because you know you can express yourself better, you can more comfortably say what you want to say. Um, and there was also, you know, you didn't really have to tip your words or tip around like some of the more major political issues too that oh. were going on at the time too. I mean, that was a big thing going on. Um, but you know, I held out the international crowd. They were American, Australian, like. Uh, I met someone that was actually I actually went to the same uh, grad school as no I actually went to the same undergrad that I did so like mm. we re- like we were really connected and so it was just more comfortable and being in that cultural uh, being in that sort of cultural bu- that westernized bubble so to speak uh-huh. um, and but you know I also hung out with like Chinese people and it was nice it was just I guess there's less things to talk about <laughs> with Chinese people because I you know I didn't grow up with their culture I didn't grow up with their language. Jacob was enjoying his time in Beijing, but the city was starting to change. At the beginning, around 2014, there was a feeling of optimism in the air in Beijing. There was a lot of work to go around, and more international people were working in the city. But then, over time in 2018, 2019, there was a sense of less foreigners were going to China and Beijing, less international people were working at his company. His friends were moving out because they were burned out from the long hours and exhausting work culture. Many of his international coworkers and friends could only stay in Beijing for two years or so before they had to move out, either going back to their own country, or more to a more international city, Shanghai. More international bars and stores were closing as well. I guess it would just be you know a lot of the stores were closing, a lot of their favorite、um, bars were closing, and a lot of the actually a lot of the bars、um, in Beijing that were frequented by Westerners were opened by Westerners as well,、um, and、yeah. they were closing. They were losing opportunities there, and they were getting、um, they were getting taken over by you know their Chinese partner or something like that. You hear a lot about those issues as well. Okay,、uh, for you, did that affect you at all, or,、um, or not for? Not I mean, not as much because I had like I mean, obviously I could I could I had one step in the Chinese culture as well, so like I had other options for Westerners though.、Yeah. Like if their favorite haunt was closed, like that was just one less opportunity for them to. You know, have fun or to experience like the, their Western lifestyle. Okay,、um, for you, okay, for you, wasn't as bad. I mean, like, yeah, it definitely wasn't as bad, and also because、um, you know, I、uh, I found my wife there as well, you know, and we got married there, so I had、okay. I had that security of being in like I had that family there and starting a family there,、um, so that was also I had that security of you know being comfortable. <laughs> In like a private setting that maybe a lot of foreigners didn't have. So did Jacob end up living in China for the rest of his life? Well, not exactly. He came back to America in 2019 to pursue his master's degree. We were fairly comfortable and fairly well off in Beijing, so that we didn't really have any issues. Like if we stayed in Beijing, like we could have stayed. Like it didn't matter.、Um, but. For my profession, at least, like it would, it is a better opportunity. It's a better investment to come back here and get that degree, and then after that, like we'll f- pick, like if we want to stay in America or if we want to go back to China. Okay, so living in China long term for you is not really a. a big yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's not really a big issue. I mean, maybe if, <clears throat> like, I need to. It's still another issue that maybe we have to talk about a little bit with my. <clears throat> we have to talk about with my wife as well, because like where, if for example we want to start a family, where do we want the kids to grow up in?、Uh, that's a big issue too. Like, do we want our kids to、yeah. grow up in a polluted city with 
uh, with such a harsh educational system, or do we want it to be more free, uh, more individualistic in the Western world? So that's a big issue. And then another one is, where do we see the political landscape being in the next 10, 20 years? Uh, where do we want to set up for retirement? That's that's a whole bunch of issues that you know we haven't really thought of yet, um, but that's still in the back of our mind as well. When you first you know, move back to America, like, where's it like, what were your feelings or your thoughts when you came back since you were living in China for so long? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was like coming home, basically. Like, I've always, I've been asked before this question of like, do I feel more like a Chinese person? Or do I feel more yeah. like an American? And, you know, like, obviously when I'm in China and I'm talking with my father-in-law, I say I'm more Chinese, yeah. right? <laughs> you don't want to piss him off. But when you're like, and when you're here, I do feel more American because like this is the yeah. culture that I grew up in, and it's very difficult for Chinese people to understand because um, they they have it ingrained in them that you know the co- their their ethnicity is their nationality, um, and it's difficult for them to think about the multicultural landscape that is America, and this, and I, I try to tell them that it's like you know it's it's no different than you know if you're maybe like a ethnic minority in China, you're, you're not Han, but maybe you're something else. Like, it's no different than that. It's like, you have these minorities that all work together and come together, and it's really blending together. Okay, um, what advice would you give for um, Asian Americans who are interested in moving to Asia? Definitely go for it, and it's, a, it's it'll be a crazy experience, and I think it's a worthwhile experience to have. Um, I think, I mean, I, I wish everybody would... <laughs> Like all the Asian Americans that I know, I wish they would all go back to China for a couple of years and just experience like their native land and just experience, you know, what they're, how, how much advancement they, that, how much better people have there now than they did like back then, like a couple of decades ago. I think it's a really enlightening experience to have. Asian American is really interesting. I don't look fully American by traditional standards, but my mannerisms are pretty American. I can't really exactly fit into Asian culture, even though I look like it on the outside. And there are times in my life that I just felt more American than Asian. Like uh, in Korea in 2014, it was the World Cup. And I felt more closer to the American team. Uh, I just, you know, wanted to cheer them to victory every single time um, compared to, you know, Korea or Japan. Um, you know, you know, logically speaking, I you know, should be cheering for Korea and Japan and such because I'm Asian, but, you know, I just want America to win. They, they did pretty well, and they lost in round 16, um, like always, but it was fun first three games. But from Jacob's story, I can attempt to move over to Asia and try to fit in. Um, it won't be like a perfect fit there. Um, I have to do like a lot of work um, to find friends, learn the culture, and learn the mannerisms and such um, in order to you know start finding like a sense of belonging there. It will be easier for me to like live in like an international Asian city because it's like a best of uh, both the East and the West. Um, and this is like a path I feel like I would take just because I can find more familiarity there and as well as learn new things. But at the moment, uh, living in America, um, you know, I can make it work. Um, so in my early 20s, I moved from Georgia to San Francisco in order to join a larger Asian community. I enjoyed a ton of Asian food here. Um, 
went to a lot of K-pop concerts last year. I met a lot of Asians through work and tennis and at the bars. And if I wanted to get away for the weekend, uh, Los Angeles is a quick flight down. When I'm not in California, I could also explore other clusters of the Asian population in America. So I could, you know, stay in an Asian bubble for a good while. In the meantime, I could also do my part and promote the fact that Asian Americans do belong in America. I can join organizations like Collaboration to promote Asian entertainment or try to spread Asian stories to new audiences in America for more people people to understand who we are. So at the end, if living Asia doesn't work out for me, I can at least find a peace within America that I can call home. That was Tony Trin, and that is going to do it for today's show. Do you have a story in your circle of friends or community that explores how family, cultural, and personal histories are shaping artistry and identity? How are you going back where you came from? You can send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldandgreat at collaboration.org. And don't forget, collaboration is spelled with a K. This episode was written by Tony Trin, produced by James Sung, and mixed and edited by Tony and Alan Shia. Our associate producer is Michelle Abiera. Our supervising producer is Long Vo. And our executive producer is Josh Coe. Music in this episode came from Purple Planet. Our beautiful theme song was composed by Robert Guh. And you can learn more about Bobby's work at bobbygemusic.com. I'm Josh Coe, and we will see you soon with more stories of the gold and gray. Thanks for listening.